uh, this morning. It's already been an incredible few services here uh, at Pursuit as we're doing our special Heart for Pursuit offering at the end of every service. And I just want to thank you uh, in advance for your generosity. Thank you for believing in the heart, the mission, and the vision of what lays ahead for our church. I am filled with anticipation and encouragement today, knowing my God will supply everything that we're in need of according to his riches and glory, because the God that we serve has not failed. He will not start now. The Bible says that all who hope in the Lord will not be set to disappointment. Meaning that if you put your hope in King Jesus, you can be assured today that he will finish what he has started and he is not done yet. And so we are seated in heavenly places high above. Our minds are set on things above, not below. We are convinced that our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. And that God has a really great track record of being faithful even when we're faithless. There has never been a God as good as the one that we read about in this book. There has never been one more worthy of worship than the one that we worship in this environment. Friend, it is simply worth it to go all in on this Jesus that we serve. Hey, I wanna put a couple things on your radar just real briefly. Tomorrow night, we're doing something special in Bellevue of all places. We're doing a pursuit pop-up service in the Bellevue Towers at 6.30 p.m. We're doing this for all of our folks who are part of our East Side community. Some of them come to church every week, others come when they can, but God continues to open doors across this region. We just wanna be faithful to walk through every door he gives us. So I don't know where it's gonna lead, but I know that we're gonna call in the name of the Lord. We're gonna spend some time in prayer, worship. We're gonna prophesy over folks, and we're gonna see the glory of God show up in powerful ways. And so tomorrow night we'll be in Bellevue. If you live on the east side or got friends who do, this graphic's gonna be available on our social media here real soon. We're asking you to help share it, let folks know about what God is doing more broadly in the region. And then this Saturday, this Saturday is gonna be incredible. We're partnering with the Let Us Worship crew for a worship blowout at Harvey Field. Last year, I think we had three or 4,000 people packed in the field. People gave their lives to Jesus. People put drugs on the altar. Hopefully nobody took drugs off the altar. We baptized folks. I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, I just wanna partner with anyone and, 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 and everyone who is taking a stand for revival and reformation. And so we're gonna be rallying the region right there in Harvey Field. Many of you know right where that is, real close to the church here. And really we got folks traveling from around the state to be at this event. So we're gonna encourage you to show up and help us as much as possible as we worship Jesus right there in Harvey Field. Hey, something we're doing at the beginning of every service is we're giving folks updates on how good God has been and how faithful God's people are. I wanna share this with you this morning to help build your faith and encourage you and let you know what we have already raised in the first two services alone. I am happy to announce we have just about crossed the $415,000 threshold. Come on, friend, look at God, look at God. How good God has been, how faithful God has been. God put it on my heart that we're gonna to try to use our faith this morning as best we can to raise a million bucks. In fact, somebody in the first offering, they dropped off for me a million dollar bill. And so I don't know if this is legal tender or not. I mean, I'm gonna to try to deposit it for sure, but anyways, maybe we already got it, but I got a million dollar bill right here. And I'm just thankful, man, I'm just thankful. God is doing a good work here in the Northwest. 
Hey, this morning I'm going to share with you out of the book of Genesis and in chapter 18, where the Bible records a conversation that Abraham has with his friend. And the name of that friend is, is Yahweh. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are two figures that the biblical authors talk about who had a relationship with God like a man has with his friend. It says it of Abraham and it says it of Moses. What I love about these two figures is even though they lived in an Old Testament time, by faith, they accessed a New Testament reality. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because friends know the master's business. But that friendship has actually been available for all of time. And Abraham and Moses, they transcended the normal and ordinary limitations of the covenant or the dispensation in which they lived. And they so grabbed the hold of his garment that the Bible records they conversated with the father as a man speaks with his friends. Do you know that the way that you perceive God is the way that you receive God? And not only that, the way that you perceive him is the way that you reveal him. And sometimes I've found watching other people preach that they've got a relationship with a really angry God. It's like he's a perpetually irritated judge with a big hammer waiting to hit you over the head every time you make a mistake. But the Bible doesn't say for God so hated the world, it says for God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but they would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. The God that we serve, he is for us. He has redeemed us. He has bought us with the precious price of the blood of his son. He has called us his own. He has stamped his identity upon our hearts. The Bible says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And I want you to know this morning, you haven't just been invited into serving Jesus. You've been invited into being friends of God. And that's a friendship that will change everything about you. And so often because of a distorted view of God, we create distance in places where God wanted to create nearness. In fact, this is what is so beautiful about the language used to describe Jesus, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not God far removed from us. He is not God perpetually angry at us. He is not God irritated by us. He is God with us. And that hope of glory now takes residence inside every human heart that has confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And friend, that is a reason to rejoice this morning that the King of the universe has called you his own. He's numbered the hairs on your head. Now, some of you don't have too many left, so it was easy, but he's numbered the hairs on your head. He's numbered the days of your life. He knows the details of your story. And the longer that I follow him, the more that I love him. The more I recognize that I actually need him more today than I did yesterday. 
We have not graduated out of our great need of Jesus. In fact, the process of following Jesus is the process of recognizing more and more how much we are totally reliant and dependent on Him to be God. We are not the center of the story. We are not the main character of this book. Jesus is. And this serves as the exhaustive revelation of a kind and of a generous God who has invited us into divine relationship with Him. There has never been another worldview. There has never been another philosophy. There has never been another school of thought that as good as the one that we read about today. And this Jesus, he calls you his own. And in Genesis 18, Abraham speaks with his friend. And that friend just happens to be Yahweh. But I want you to see the level of conversation they have and then ask yourself the question this morning. How does my response look like when the God of the universe engages me in divine dialogue? In Genesis 18, starting in verse 23, the Bible says Abraham approached God. And he said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if I can find 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare that place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham caught wind that judgment was coming to Sodom. And if there was ever a city that deserved it, Sodom was it. But Abraham had a nephew named Lot whose family resided within the walls of that city. And when Abraham catches wind that judgment is coming, he appeals to his friend, the God of the universe, and says, will you really judge the righteous and the wicked alike? What if I could present to you today 50 righteous, would you spare the city? What if I could find for you a remnant people who have not bowed their knee to foreign idols? Would you save the city? What if I could present to you today that there are still people who worship the one true triune God who created the heavens and the earth? God, would you be faithful to my family? God, would you be faithful to the next generation? Would you spare this city on behalf of the righteous? And the friend of Abraham, Yahweh, says if I can find 50 righteous, I will spare this entire city. Here's what I found. God oftentimes will show you what is as an invitation to contend for the not yet. God does this with Moses when he says, I will destroy the Hebrew children because of their disobedience. And Moses contends with God to save his remnant people. Jacob does this when he wrestled with God and wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. And Jesus does this with a Gentile woman who came seeking a miracle for her severely demonized daughter. 
Friends, sometimes God's no is an invitation to contend for God's yes. Remember, faith don't require me to deny that a problem exists. It simply requires me to deny that problem an undue place of influence in my life. In a lot of ways, the Northwest reminds me of Sodom. It's a region that seems hell-bent on its own destruction. Lawlessness, which is the spirit of the Antichrist, is on full display. I'm convinced the Northwest has lost its shine, but the church of Jesus Christ has not lost her hope. Some might see destruction, but I see the seedbed of revival. Some might see darkness, but friend, I see the potential for light. We've got folks who've uprooted their entire families, moved from across the nation, taken pay cuts to work long hours, because we have become convinced that now we stand on the precipice of another great awakening, and God himself will save the Northwest on behalf of the righteous. Watch what Isaiah the prophet says, speaking for the Lord in Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You know that word reason in the Hebrew translates to the English word argue. God is inviting his people to come and contend, debate, argue, on behalf of the destiny that they so see through the eyes of faith, because the God that we serve is interested in developing the deep parts of our heart to such a degree that when we grab a hold of the hem of his garment, we refuse to let go until he blesses us. Is your family worth fighting for? I would say so. Is the next generation worth contending for, friend? I would say so. Is the condition of our cities worth arguing for? I would say so. I would humbly submit to you today that God is inviting us once again to stand in the gap, hold on with everything that we have, contend with every ounce of energy that we got left, and refuse to leave until God has done what he has promised to do. And see, this is what we do in prayer. We attach ourselves to God's reality and we refuse to quit knocking until a door is opened unto us. Maybe the saddest verse in all of the Old Testament comes from Ezekiel 22, where God is speaking to the prophet. He says, the people of the land practice extortion. They commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy. They mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. May God find people from this church standing in the gap for this region. May God find men and women who know the times and seasons of their anointing. May God find individuals who simply refuse to give in to the narrative of negativity, who will contend for a region until the God of Elijah answers by fire. Friend, it is revival or we die. I was rereading one of the famous Old Testament stories in 2 Kings 4 this week. 
where the prophet Elisha meets a widow who is down to her last drop of oil. As the prophet is walking by, she comes out of her house and she begins to beg, contend, argue for a miracle. And you know the story. The prophet says, go and borrow jars from all your neighbors, bring them in the house, shut your door, and watch what this God will do. The Bible says supernaturally, her jars begin to fill with oil. Supernaturally, they begin to fill to the brim, to the point of overflowing, until every jar that she had was filled up with new oil. And I love the instruction of the prophet Elisha to this widow. He says, now go take that oil and sell it so that your sons may live. I was reading it that, this week and I felt so strongly the spirit of the Lord speak to me and say, Russell, the reason why I am visiting you with the fresh oil of revival and outpouring is so that your sons and your daughters may live. Friend, when we talk about raising the next generation in revival, it is not just an empty slogan. It is not just something that we put on a graphic and release on social media. It is the cry of our heart because we know that the God who answers by fire must encounter our children and our children's children if we are going to have any hope for the future of our nation. Friend, when God begins to blow on his church, when he begins to pour out the fresh oil of encounter, it is with the express purpose that the next generation will know that the God who was faithful to mom and dad is faithful to me. The God who is faithful to me will be faithful to my children. The God who is faithful to my children will be faithful to their children. We're going to build a church and raise the next generation in an unmitigated outpouring of God's spirit so that they can live. Let me ask you a question. How many outpourings have been missed by God's people? Because when the father was looking, instead of finding people standing in the gap, he found them standing on the sidelines. How many works of renewal have been simply passed over because of instead of responding to the invitation to contend, we have become passive observers who are convinced that faith is just something that happens to us instead of something that happens through us. The Bible says that it is the Lord's eyes that are roaming to and fro throughout the earth. He is looking for those whose hearts completely belong to him so that he may strongly support them. The Father is looking and our response is, here am I, God, send me. You see how desperate the city is? Do you see how broken that family is? Do you see how depressed that individual is? Do you see how lost that family is? But friend, watch what a few righteous seeds in the soil can produce if we will be faithful to plant in fields that other people have overlooked. See friend, by virtue of you being here this morning, you are a seed. There's no telling the potential for what you will produce. It may look small, 
It may feel insignificant. It may not seem impressive, but it carries the potential to change the entire field. Do you know that in Washington state, there are laws about what type of seeds that you can transport to Eastern Washington? The reason those laws exist is because the farmers understand how an entire crop can be ruined in one season if the wrong seed makes it into the soil. What if you saw your contribution today as a righteous seed that can change the harvest for the next generation? What if you saw your simple faith, your contribution, your attendance, your engagement, your stubborn refusal to give up as a seed planted in the soil that can redeem the crop just in time for harvest? Well, I know it doesn't look like much, but a seed carries within it the potential to fundamentally alter the soil. But hear me today, friend. A seed doesn't produce anything until you've got the faith to plant it. Oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and refuse to allow the enemy to convince me that small beginnings can't produce extravagant results. I still believe today that it is simple obedience that changes history. We are never more than one generation away from losing the freedoms that we so enjoy. We are never more than one generation away from people not remembering the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is our job as stewards before the Lord and as priests in his temple to make sure that the fire on the altar of God does not go out. So that by the time that our children are raised in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they too see a church whose lamp burns bright a church set on a hill for all men to see, a light that beacons to ships that you can come back home because there is safety in the harbor, a bright blinking sign that points to redemption found in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Friend, this is the mission and the mandate of the hour. We are not just building for us, we are building for them. Eight years ago when we started in a living room, I never thought to myself we would rent a stadium. Eight years ago in a living room, I never thought to myself we'd buy a building. Eight years ago in a living room, I never thought we'd launch a campus in Seattle, but we had young men and young women who are willing to plant insignificant seeds in very significant soil, and in doing so, one man has planted, another man has watered, and it is God who has brought increase, and we are seeing it like we have never seen it before. Well, I remember those early days. <laughs> I remember working in crawl spaces, doing pest control, just trying to pay the bills. In fact, Lighty, in the first service, we raised more in one special offering than our entire fiscal year, the first year that we planted. Well, I remember some of them early days. I remember showing up at church and being nervous if anybody else would show up with me. I remember getting on stage just hoping the volunteer crew came to play music. I remember the days where the electrical grid was so poor in this building it was pretty normal for power to go out three or four times. 
I remember those places of feeling like, God, am I crazy? Are you crazy? Is this judgment? What are we even doing? But I remember hearing the voice of the Lord in those seasons, and I hear it again today. If you'll be faithful just to plant a few seeds. If you'll be faithful when you preach to 15, I'll give you 15,000. If you'll be faithful to care for what's in front of you, I will open a door that no man may close. If you'll just be faithful to keep planting. Russell, you haven't been buried, you've been planted. You haven't been overlooked, you've been hidden. You haven't been forgotten, you've been remembered. And I'm gonna add some co-laborers to the harvest who are gonna plant some seeds with you. And this may take a generation to bloom, but one day our kids will be able to eat the fruit of revival because grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads were faithful to plant seed in the soil. Watch what Jesus says when he talks about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had so that he could buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. Friend, the kingdom of heaven has not been hidden from us. It has been hidden for us. There is treasure in this ground. There is treasure in your life, your family, your marriage, your business. And it is the wisdom of God's people to search it out. This treasure is not found by accident. It is not stumbled upon without intentionality. It has been concealed since the beginning of time. And we are now just discovering what God has intended us to have all along. Yeah, it was a building built by somebody else. It was a property somebody else developed. It was a sanctuary somebody else designed. It was walls that somebody else painted. It was a church that God was developing all the while, just waiting for his people to discover it. Friend, God has been building your house well before you ever had the faith to move in. God has been working on your destiny well before you ever discovered it. The field has been tended. The treasure has been deposited. The building has been constructed. And now it is time for God's people to move in and Jesus tells his disciples he says I go to prepare a place and that gives me great confidence today because there is no place that I go that he hasn't already been he'd been working on Seattle before we ever showed up He'd been working on Snohomish before this church ever got planted. He was softening people's hearts when they didn't even know his name. He was showing kindness and goodness before they ever had him figured out. He has been drawing and wooing the entire region to a place of encounter. And we got to be the luckiest people in the world because we showed up at the right place at the right time, worshiping the right God. And he's saying, now it is time to pour out my spirit without measure I love what Jesus says about the kingdom 
It says this man in his joy went and sold all he had to buy this field. In his joy. And why is the attitude behind the gift so important? Because if God gets your money, but he doesn't get your heart, you've missed the point on what it means to be generous. When people ask me about church planting, I tell them it's the best thing and the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life, all at the same time. But I can tell you this, friend, when we baptized another young person who was on the verge of suicide, when we see another marriage restored that was on the brink of divorce, when we see another family reconciled that had been blown apart for generations, when we see people say, man, I've been searching for 20 years and this is the first time that I've enjoyed going to church. What it does is it reminds me of the joy I had at first. It reminds me that everything that we lay down in pursuit of this Jesus is well worth it to see his kingdom come and his will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven in great joy. This man sells everything that he has and he buys the field because he has become convinced that there is treasure under his feet. And I want you to leave here today convinced that the treasure of Jesus is under our feet and now he is giving us the opportunity to discover it, to dig it up and to use it so the next generation can live. Now watch. The Bible says in verse 27 of Genesis 18, then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold to speak, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous people is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? And God responds, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Some of you know how the story continues. Abraham comes back and says, on second count, I only got 40. I've run the numbers again, Lord. I think there might only be 30. God, I know I've been so bold, but boldness is contagious, so I'm here to ask again. I think I've only got 20. And then finally, in his last statement, he says, God, I'm gonna be honest. What if there is only 10? And the Lord responds, for the sake of 10 righteous, I will save the city. And can I tell you, friend, for the sake of 2,500 righteous people in Snohomish, I bet God will save this entire state. I bet God will save this entire region. I bet God will cause another wave of revival to crash on the West Coast. For the sake of the righteous, God still saves cities. Watch this, Russ, they told me, online campus today, they got people tuning in from Albania. They got people tuning in from the Bering Sea. They've got people tuning in from West Africa. I want you to know 
that what is happening here might seem limited and it might seem insignificant, but I'm telling you that the anointing on this house is giving hope to the nations of the earth that if God can do it in the Northwest, he can do it in my country, he can do it in my family, he can do it in my neighborhood. If there's treasure in that field, there's gotta be treasure in my field as well. We are a light set on a hill for the nations of the earth to see. I know all we are is just a couple seeds. All we are is just a coalition of different people from different times with different gifts, with different talents, who God in his great sense of humor has connected us all in the same church. But it's our opportunity to plant. It's our destiny to take, it's our region to preserve. And if God saved Sodom, he can save Seattle. You know how the story ends. The Bible says, as soon as the righteous leave Sodom, judgment comes. I am not running from the Northwest. I am running to the Northwest. Because if the righteous leave, the city falls. If the church loses her voice, the city falls. If moms and dads lose their faith and their endurance, the next generation falls. It is our job to allow the righteousness of God to be like a canopy that gives people one more chance to know the God who raised himself from the dead. This is our opportunity. This is our hour and by faith, we're going to take it. Come on, let me in here. Let me in here. Let me in here. You remember the story of Lot's wife, don't you? They're leaving Sodom, and she turns back for one more glance. And the Bible says, in an instant, she's turned to a pillar of salt. Now this is actually where some Bible scholars believe it happened and they think that this pillar is from that era. And I don't know if that's true, but I am convinced of this reality. When you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you become nothing more than a statue or a monument to the past. Friend, it is the cross before us it is the world behind us, and this is not the time to look back with eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We are going to see God do his best things and in his best way, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Why don't you stand if you're not already? In just a minute, we're gonna give you the opportunity to sow. On the screens on my right and left are gonna be ways for you to give. I always say it almost every Sunday, so let me say it again. Giving in our church is not by obligation, it's by invitation. No pressure, there's no hype, but there is clarity as it pertains to the call. There's ways to give on screen that many of you are already familiar with. 
But today we also have another way to give and our ushers here in the front are holding on to these pledge cards. You might be here today and you might say, Pastor, I didn't come today prepared to give, but God's put on my heart a number that I wanna pledge as a gift to sow into the future of this church. And if that's you, we want you to come forward with the rest of the folks in just a moment, take one of these cards, fill it out and drop it in this bucket. And we're gonna stand with you in faith until you're able to fulfill that pledge. But many of you today, you're here and you're ready to give. The Lord's already spoken to you in amount and you wanna join hands in faith in this moment to see God provide everything that we're in need of. And in just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And I'm gonna ask you to leave your seat and join me in faith at this altar. I am not asking you to do anything that I am not willing to do myself. We have sowed into this thing. We believe in this thing. We're gonna give again and again and again because the Bible says God gives seed to the sower. And so today we're gonna to take the opportunity to add our faith together and say, may the God of more than enough show himself strong one more time. Let me pray for you and then I'm gonna invite you forward. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. God, it's our desire to partner with you in this moment of faith. God, it's our desire to see the region saved. God, it's our desire to see the next generation rise up and call you blessed. And God, today, would you take our humble seed and would you add by your power the anointing of your abundance and may it cause us to overflow with the riches of Christ Jesus. God, we're just here today. We're the same folks that we've always been. We're the same kids who gathered in a living room calling on the God of Elijah to show up with fire. I'm still that kid who laid face down at the altar and just asked God to use me one more time. We're still those people who are not impressed with us, but we are really impressed with you. God, we're the same folks that we've always been, but we've got the same God that we've always worshiped. And now God, we say it is our great privilege and it is our great joy to partner with you in this next step. We pray these things in Jesus' name.